to left corner to Aguila. Aguila to the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three rebound. Another shot. They score! The Blades win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. Okay, another week begins. Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome. What is this strange place? Pat and Wes along with you on this Monday, November 27th. It's been a while since we've been at the Dome, but we better get used to it because uh, we're going to be here a lot over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Flames Talk available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Wes. Happy Monday and welcome back to the Dome. It is great to be back in the uh, palatial hot stove lounge. Yep, the uh, fluorescent lights are fluorescent uh, and unforgiving. Um, the white paint <laughs> makes it uh, that much more depressing in here. But uh, no, it's uh, always lovely to be here in the hot stove lounge. I would never actually say anything bad about this place. We're here for this hour of Flames Talk. The Flames are back on home ice Monday night. And for the first time this season, they're home for an extended period of time. I, I knew that they hadn't been home for a long homestand yet. But just as I was going through the schedule, you're like, oh, yeah. The most they, the, the longest homestand they've had, and we're almost two months into the season, is two games. And now they kick off a six-game homestand, so they're here at the Dome. They're not going anywhere for the next two weeks or so. It kind of feels like a good time for them to have a little bit longer of a stretch on home ice because their game feels like it's trending in a better direction and some of their individual players are starting to round into form so you know last year the flames played nine of their first 10 on home ice this year they've got the least home games in the league going into this game against the defending cup champs on monday night so i don't know there's never you can never control the schedule so you gotta just take the schedule as it is but kind of feels like if there is a decent time for the group to come back onto home ice and have an extended stretch now might be it based on earlier in the season yeah and we we heard ryan huska say this morning that he he would much rather take this scenario where they haven't been home much to last season where they did start with nine out of ten on home ice and it it sort of became a crutch for the team, like, oh, we we really need a, a road trip. We really need to get away and, and do some bonding. I I think this is sort of the payoff, I guess, of all those miles that they've traveled is, is now you do get to stay home for a while. You get to sleep in your own bed. And what I think is actually going to be advantageous, and, and we haven't talked about it a lot, but this is a team that could benefit as much as their five-on-five five play has turned a corner. I think this is a team that could benefit from some practice time which they really have not had much of, right? When, yeah. you, when you go on the road, you know, if you use this past week as, as an example, they play Monday in, sorry, do I have those days right? Play Monday in Seattle. Yep. It's such a grind to get from Seattle to Nashville, and it was such a late night that they stayed over in Seattle. So Tuesday's just a travel day, no practice. On Wednesday, they play in Nashville, Thursday, they were originally planning to practice, decided because of another late night just to do an off-ice workout and their Thanksgiving dinner, and then you play back-to-back and you come home. So the Calgary Flames really, unless you count some 
morning skates have not had a practice session in over a week. Yep, they did not practice on Sunday. They did not practice. They did hold a full morning skate, as you'd expect, on Monday morning ahead of the game against Vegas, but didn't. that's not really a practice. They do a few things. They get some power play reps in. They get some five-on-five line rushes in, but it's not really a practice. You don't go through heavy drills or anything like that. So, yeah, it's been a while, and they're not going to practice on Tuesday. Right. Their next practice isn't until Wednesday morning. Uh, so it's it's going to be, yeah, about, I don't know, week and a half between full practice days for this group. And now they're going to be able, to your point, they're going to be able to get some of those in and work on their five-on-five game, work on that power play. Right. Uh, there, there's a lot that um, there's a lot that they ha- have, have to work on here. And, and let us both be clear, you know, we're not making excuses for them, but even – Pat and I'm sure I speak for both of us in in our career hanging around the Saddle Dome for the the past. It's been a dozen seasons for me. It's been more than that. I know for you, we don't see visiting teams practice in this building very often. It's yeah. just become very much you know. There's so much more emphasis, so much more data and science that goes into sort of trying to keep guys at peak injury or sorry peak energy that you don't practice a lot on the road, and that's going to be an advantage to this Flames team now as they're home for six in a row is just a chance that it's better for your extra guys who probably haven't really felt like they've been worked into it at all. Not not that the Flames are carrying a ton of extras with Nick DeSimone back down to the minors, but it's good for those guys. It's good for your special teams units. There's just a lot of benefits to having some practice time, and I'm sure for this Flames group, that feels a little overdue. Well, and, and they come back home after a, um, you know, that's a tough road trip. You go four games in six nights, as you mentioned. Every single, there wasn't a game on that trip. I guess the Seattle game was a 7 o'clock local start, but you have a 7 o'clock Pacific local start. Then you've got a, what was it, 8 8.26, I want to say. Yeah, yeah 8.26 local in Nashville, 7.30 local in Dallas, and then 8.10 local in Colorado. So late starts, late nights, travel. You're getting into hotel rooms at 1 and 2 in the morning. Uh, I know they didn't get back Sunday morning until around uh, 2.33 in the morning. Guys were getting back to their houses and getting into bed, and then you don't practice on Sunday, and then bam, you got a 10.30 morning skate on Monday, and you got to play again. So you almost and wonder. Against the defending champs. Yeah, just the Vegas Golden Knights, the yep. defending Stanley Cup champions. You know, it almost feels like the game against Vegas might, might as well be the the fifth game of a of a five game road trip because yeah you've got last change but that's the fifth different building you've played in in different time zones and cities and all that type of stuff yes now you're going to play six in a row against uh, against different teams in this building but this one probably feels like just the end of a road trip as opposed to the start of a homestand yeah and you hear to- you hear coaches talk about that quite often right how difficult that first game back from a a medium or a long trip can be just because it, it does sort of feel like a continuation of the trip. And yet, you know, the, the old cliche, if you were going to get up for a game, this one should be easy. Like you've, you've got a division rival here, you've got the defending champs and you've got a, a stretch of show me games. You've got a stretch yeah. to, to kind of make a statement to your general manager and to your fans and on down the list, what type of team you think you can be this is one of those games that that can be a struggle for teams coming back from a long trip but you really need to see the, pretty close to the flames best tonight the um 
it feels like it's got the potential to be an important stretch of the season, but right now it just kind of feels like everything is an important stretch of the season if they're going to get themselves back to a little bit more solid footing. Like they're as much as they're in the wild card race, and as much as they're in the middle of a playoff race, I, I don't think being a below five hundred team whether they're within two or three points of a playoff spot or not, that's not where they want to be. They want to be in a spot where they are protecting something. They want to be in a spot where they're well above the 500 mark. And so feels like there's a, an opportunity here. Now, some tough opponents on this homestand, but feels like there's an opportunity for them to maybe build something, maybe build on what they did. I know they go two and two on that road trip, but they did some good things. And, and I think generally outside the Nashville game play, Played some pretty decent hockey. So, you know, see if you can build on that against some really tough teams to get up for. You've got Vegas, Dallas, and Vancouver as the first three games on this trip. You've got the defending cup champs, as you mentioned, and a divisional opponent. A Stars team that you know very well from recent playoff series and that you've gone toe-to-toe with in two back-and-forth games so far this season. And then you've got another top divisional rival who is sitting top three in the division. So the first half of this homestand, you're like, yeah, there's easy reasons to get up for all three of these games. Yeah, absolutely. And you you keep hearing it, and we heard it again today from the Calgary Flames coming home from their latest trip. You know, the past couple of trips, they've come home 500. And they've not been satisfied necessarily with that, but but we've heard over and over, yeah, okay, 500 trip, that that's fine. You know, you can you can live with 500 on the road. Well, to to live with it, you have to be above 500 at home. This is a group that's 3-3-1 three, three, and one so far in their own building. Limited, obviously, chances to pile up points at home. But now that you go into a homestand, if your eye is on a playoff spot and in that locker room, it is. I, I know there's a whole lot of you know differing viewpoints outside, but in that locker room, they want to be a playoff team. Well... If you're going to come home from road trips at 500 and say, okay, yep, that we didn't set ourselves back, where you have to make some hay is at Yes, all. yep. So no matter who the opponents are, and, and this is a, a doozy of a six-game homestand in terms of quality of opposition, especially now that the quote-unquote weakest team coming in is going to probably have the new coach bump with the Minnesota Wild – firing Dean Evason this afternoon. Yeah, Dean Evason out and John, John Hines, Hines in his head coach of the Minnesota Wild. So, who honestly I still thought was the head coach of the Nashville Predators. I uh did not I I knew that Andrew Burnett took over there, but then as I'm walking in and Elliot's tweeting out Hines in for uh for Evason, I'm like, "Hi." Yeah. Oh, they take him from Nashville. Oh, no, that's right. You know, if, Barry Trotz made that change. You, that's right. You know, as a friend of yours, I, I'm just going to say at least you didn't think he was still in New Jersey. I mean, could have. Yeah. <laughs> Milwaukee. Yeah, could have. Anyway, back to what you're saying. Yeah. No, It, uh, it regardless of, of the opponents, you if you fancy yourself a, a team that's going to have a chance at a playoff spot, you have to be over 500 at home. That- and 500 is what they are. They haven't had a chance to establish any sort of momentum on home ice because of the schedule, the way that they've played lately, when they're at their best, the way that they feel like they can come at you with four lines. This should be a team, and you'd say this about a lot of groups, but this should be a team that can establish some sort of identity on home ice, but we haven't seen it yet. 
partially because of the schedule, but here's their chance, right? Yep. So time to show it. Get the text line in just a second, but just as, as you know, and Frank Saravalli will join us on Tuesday's program, as he always does, but that's the second 100-plus point team from last year to fire a coach less than or at the quarter mark of the following season. We know, obviously, Jay Woodcroft is out in Edmonton. They had 109 points last year and finished number two in the Pacific Division and tied for number two in the conference. And Jay Woodcroft gets fired a couple of weeks ago. Then here on this Monday, uh, the Minnesota Wild had 103 points last year and Dean Evason out and they're whatever they are into the season, 20-plus games into their season. Minnesota is not 19 games into their year, they sit 5, 10, and 4, and 7 points back of a playoff spot. Just a, just a, a, a crazy to think that two triple-digit teams in the Western Conference last year, A, have gotten off to the starts they have, and B, have fired coaches, in Minnesota's case, not even a quarter into their season, and Edmonton like a tenth into their season or whatever it was. And I, I feel like the fact that the Western Conference climb is happening so slowly is, is sort of making teams take stock of, okay, like we're off to an awful start here, right? Edmonton was off to an awful start. Minnesota is off to an awful start. But we're we're not very far out of this thing. And so I think when you look at the way the West is shaping up and, and the fact that you know right, right now there's a team that's 8, 9, and 5 in the second wildcard spot. I think right now the pace is like 80-something points to, yep. to get in, right? And I, and I don't think it's going to stay that way, but I, I think if you're one of those teams that is south of the playoff cutoff and thinks that you should be in the Elite Eight, it you're kind of compelled to make one of those big changes before it is too late. And with the way the Western Conference is, is progressing, if that's the right word for it this season, it feels like for these teams, hey, if we can just – if we can just get this thing turned around a little bit, it won't be too late for yep. us. Well, I think, is it not? The pace would be, right now, 82 points to make the playoffs. Because the best points percentage teams, um, or, or the, the points percentage teams that would be sitting in eighth in the Western Conference would be Nashville and Arizona. Right, they're and they're both 500. 500. Yeah. Yeah. So like if you're get 82 and you're in. If you're Minnesota and you're you're absolutely right about points percentage, but I'm just going to look at the the sheer point standings. Yeah. So Seattle's in eighth right now, and, and they're, they're on pace for 78 points. Right, and they're at 21 points. And so Minnesota, if they want to look at it this way, has 14 points and three games in half. That puts them. If you win those three, you're one point out, quote unquote, of a wild card spot. Yep. Like somebody's going to have to get into these last couple of spots. And, and that has to, I think, be motivating teams like the Minnesota Wild, who instead of saying, oh, geez, this might be a lost year. What are we going to do? It's it's like, no, no, it it's still kind of right there for the taking. Same same with the Flames. Same with the Oilers. Like, there's, a, there's a lot of like, okay, yeah, we're not off to very good starts. Even, but, you know, we've, we've heard some more smoke of late around the Noah Hannafin to the Arizona Coyotes rumors. Well, Arizona, as you said, is a 500 team, but they're looking at it, especially a, as a group that hasn't had a lot of playoff opportunities in recent years, and they have to be looking at it as yeah. a, geez, we have a legit chance. Well, they, they said they don't want to be a bottom-of-the-barrel team anymore. They want to start, you know, making their climbs. Right. So. 
We'll see. Back to the text line we go at 960-960. Stafford says, Jekyll and Hyde, Pat. Jekyll and Hyde. If Dr. Jekyll shows up, Flames lose 5-2. If Mr. Hyde shows up, they get the win 4-3 over Vegas. Do we still feel that way about the Flames? Um, Less so. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it's fair. I, I absolutely do, but but uh, we've seen less consistency swings. Yeah. Although, <clears throat> excuse me, we're not very far removed from the Nashville game, which was among the duddiest of the duds so far this season. So ab- absolutely fair. I, I just think it's gotten better. I maybe think. we've seen a little more. Which one's the good one? Jekyll Hyde. I don't know. Yeah. Next text, then. Uh, quit making excuses. Colorado had to travel back from Minnesota the same night to play the Flames. You weren't saying nothing about that. I don't think we were even talking about that. I wasn't on the radio that day, so I'm going to I'm gonna absolve myself well, of we any were just, guilt. We were just talking about that was a difficult trip for the Flames. And, and We didn't say anything about that's why they lost the game in Colorado. Avalanche had the same situation. They traveled on the second half of a back-to-back and deserved to win that game. I don't remember any... Um, I don't remember any excuse making. So you're grumpy, zero one zero six. You're grumpy. I, I think we've seen this around the league, right? This is the, this is sort of the byproduct of trying to fit these buys, and and I understand why from the NHLPA perspective, those buys are so coveted. I, you know, th- these are guys who play for six or seven months and and never get more than one day off at a time i understand why that little mini vacation in the middle of the season is so coveted but it it really has compressed the schedule yeah it's noticeable uh this reads the west this year six good teams two awful teams and six teams like no you take the wild card no you please i insist that's from theo it's kind of what it feels like right now there's six teams that none of them feel like they really want to grab a playoff spot right now how how many teams did he have have there six good teams yeah two awful teams yeah and then six that are in the middle yeah then it's two teams missing yeah there's there's two that would be in another category. Yeah. Curious what that category Yeah, would be. please. Uh, by the way, uh, Chandler says uh, that you used to babysit him back in Glenbow. Yeah. Uh, um, he says Kadri scores and the Flames win. So, At least one of those is accurate. Chandler was a hell of a hockey player in his own right. Was he? By no, like by none of my doing. As the older role model in the cul-de-sac, I, I was not helpful. <laughs> That's good. Um, Pat and Wes, babysitter Wes, along with you this hour. I'm babysitting Pat now. Every day. Uh, That's kind of par for the course. Interesting observation in the locker room after uh, morning skates. So sitting there uh, waiting for Elias Lindholm and Nazem Kadri to come out and speak with us. And I'm looking right at my kind of usual... my usual hunch or my usual haunt in the locker room. I'm looking right at a stall with Kevin Rooney's nameplate and a bunch of gear in him. Oh, Kevin Rooney must be back skating. You know, he's been out since uh, he's been out since training camp with a shoulder injury. Well, good for him. Kevin Rooney back skating before the group. That's neat. Must mean that he's progressing nicely. And then you come up to me about five minutes later. I'm sitting in here and you go, uh, hey, if, if you can, I'm not going to be able to be in the Ryan Huska news conference. Can you just ask about Jacob Pelche? And I'm like, oh, I didn't. Because I did not see Pelche's locker in there, but right. Pelche, same thing. So both Jacob Pelche 
and Kevin Rooney have their lockers back in the Flames locker room. They have gear, which means they're starting to skate and starting to ramp up to a return. We did ask head coach Ryan Huska about it. Here's what the coach had to say about Rooney and Pelche, and their status is on November 27th. They're both progressing really well. I mean, they're, they're going to be a while still, but today was the first time um, we've seen them on the ice, so they were going through some drills, skill drills this morning. So they have a long way to go yet, but everything's been positive so far. So getting some reinforcements would be nice at some point, uh, even just from an energy or a new blood standpoint might be good for this group. And that probably, and, and no knock on Rooney, who's a, who's a good vet and, and um, is, is an awesome guy to talk to. Uh, but, but Pelche is that young kind of burst of energy that, Flames could probably use, and we've seen what Zeri and we've seen what Pospisil have done since they've come in and how much of a positive impact they've made. So we already know the type of energy Jacob Pelche brings. So feels like still into the new year is when you're talking about a return to game action, but in late November sounds like things are, are progressing nicely for both Jacob Pelche and Kevin Rooney. Yeah, as we heard Ryan Huska say, they were doing some kind of individual skills work. I know that the the team, just based on, on the nature of trying to come back from surgery on, on their shoulder, and both of them had, my understanding, a very similar injury, very very similar surgery that followed. You know, that there will be a, an emphasis on kind of slow playing this. They There's going to be a, a long stretch still before they're cleared for contact, but... Even just having Jacob Pelche, a guy who we talk about being such a a sort of positive fountain of energy type guy, even just having him in the locker room, you know, the fact that he on some mornings is probably going to be getting his skates off as the rest of the guys are coming in and putting their skates on to go out there, I think it can be helpful. Yeah. I, I Knowing Jacob Pelche, you know that he's done whatever he can to sort of pump up the group without being around as much, but it, it is difficult. You wind up on a different schedule, and I, I think in Jacob's case especially, being around the group a little bit more can be beneficial for both sides. Yeah, and I think that he'd be a nice addition back to this team, but you want to you wanna bring him back when you know he's 100%. You want to bring him back when you know that you're going to put him in the best situation to succeed don't bring him back where he hasn't gotten time to ramp himself up Mm -hmm. and get himself a little bit closer to game speed maybe even give him three or four games in the american league to start things off and and let him get some games down there at full speed before bringing him back to the nhl because you want the second half of this season if pelche plays 35 or 40 games this year you want him to be able to hit the ground running and be as successful as possible so that he can bring some of that confidence into the offseason so he can help your team as best as he possibly can so that you look at it as still a development year for him and not just a lost year. So I, I think the term you use, slow play, is really important when talking about Pelche. Yeah, and I, I like, in both cases, I like the idea of a conditioning stint when these guys are ready to go whenever you talk to a player coming back from a shoulder injury you know, there's some trepidation about contact yeah. and, and those first few hits you take and just knowing that you're kind of put back together the way you need to be. So I, I absolutely think that makes sense. And 
you know what what a good development again for the Flames and the if you're if you're getting better as a team if if you are improving your depth it becomes harder to figure out which guy you're going to take out of the lineup and if Jacob Pelche and Kevin Rooney were ready today and, and if you're just joining us they're not they're it's, not it's still going to be a while but back on skates now like Walker Dewar's already sitting as a healthy scratch. And then if you just look at the fourth line, you're talking about taking one of AJ Greer, Adam Ruzicka, or Dylan Dubé out of the lineup. Yep. Well, those are guys, especially in Ruzicka and Dubé's case, who at the start of this season were looked at as kind of staples in the lineup. That's both a, a credit to the young guys in, in Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil and also a criticism of the inconsistency we've seen from Ruzicka and Dubé, that those would be guys that you'd probably have to be talking about as potentially coming out of the lineup as you get reinforcements. And and let's throw Matt Coronado in that mix too, right? Yeah. He continues to produce at the AHL level. What, so four points in two games over the weekend? Yeah, and we're going to talk to Trent Cull in the, the second hour for our, our weekly check on the Wranglers. But, you know, that that's a good problem for teams to have. Yeah. You know, where does a Jacob Pelche fit? Well... Because you don't know the exact answer to that question, you're not rushing them back to action just to see what it looks like. Yeah, you have a chance to make sure a really important young player is properly healed from a significant injury. Um, and then one other roster note. Can I throw one more yeah. uh, injury tidbit in there? I, Absolutely. I think most people know that Sam Honzek has returned to the Vancouver Giants and yeah. the WHL, the Flames' first-round pick. I actually chatted with him yesterday, so Sam hasn't been back in action for the Vancouver Giants yet, but but says he's really, really close. Their next game is Friday, and I would certainly expect that Sam Honzek is going to be in the Giants lineup then. He's already talking about how many games he has before he leaves for World Juniors, World Juniors yeah. which is five. He's, he's anxious to kind of make an immediate impact in Vancouver, but also show that, that he's ready to go for World Juniors. And so good news there for uh, another really important young piece. Um, Nick Simone back to the Calgary Wranglers. That was the one piece of news coming out of Sunday for the Flames. And really, not, I know there's a lot of people like, why are they doing this? Does this mean somebody else is ready to come back? Or not much to see here. Flames are at home for two weeks. Wranglers are at home all week. Um, and for Simone, who I think they've liked in, in his eight games on this recall, um, I think that this is more than anything else just to stop the waiver clock. Uh, so... When you get when you as as you explained last week, but when you clear waivers at the beginning of the year, like a guy like D Simone did, uh, and you get sent to the American Hockey League, it means that if you get recalled, you have a waiver exemption for a period of time. That period of time is either ten NHL games, and they don't have to be all in a row. They don't have to be. They can be some in October and some in March, uh, but ten NHL games or. 30 days on an NHL roster, which includes non-game days. Um, I believe they papered him down once, so I think he's at 22 days on the NHL roster. So eight games and 22 days. So this just stops his waiver clock so that he can go back down without having to clear waivers, maybe get some games in with the Wranglers, and then if they want to call him back up, it means that they would have a full eight more days or a full two more games of him 
being with the team without having to clear waivers again. So that's probably the main reason why they made that move. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can knock the the dust off them a little bit and give them a chance to to play some games for the Wranglers, I, I do think it makes sense. It's become, and quite frankly, I think the Flames have to be quite happy with both of these guys. It's become this interesting battle between Dennis Gilbert and Nick DeSimone, who are actually really close friends going back to their youth days yeah. in Buffalo. They train together in the off season. They they're totally different players, but they've they've really kind of been pushing each other for that last spot in the lineup. It does remain unsettled. I actually thought Nick DeSimone was the closest we'd seen a guy to kind of taking command of, of that sixth spot and yet Dennis Gilbert gets back in is one of the standouts in what was a rotten game for most of his teammates provides an edge that I know this Flames team wants more of as part of their identity and as a result his buddy goes back down to the minors so that they can make sure that they don't have to risk losing him yeah Exactly, and uh, get some potential games in as well. So just wanted to point that one out uh, with the one roster move the Flames have made since we last spoke to you. A couple of texts at 960-960. This is, what are the odds Pelche starts in the American League? I I don't. I think there's a decent chance that they would go down that route. He's waiver exempt. It gets him an opportunity to get some games in before jumping him in to the NHL roster. And the good news is that if you're the Flames, and, and if you're a Flames fan, you don't really have to worry about, yeah, they're going to put him in the AHL and keep him there. Craig Conroy wants Jacob Pelche in the NHL. Craig Conroy wants Jacob Pelche as a regular player on this team, and that's why starting him in the AHL makes a lot of sense, I think, if they decide to go down that road. Yeah, and if you don't start him in the AHL, and it probably has a lot to do with what the roster looks like when these guys are ready to come back, you know, in terms of health, in terms of potential moves, you know, who who's still on the active roster, but I think a conditioning stint makes a ton of sense. Otherwise, you're probably just stretching them out in practice a little bit longer. And you mentioned uh, how the uh, Hannafin, Arizona stuff is, has uh, kicked up again. This says, has anybody talked about Hannafin's no trade clause? Tough to see a guy accepting to go to ASU. Obviously, the very small, embarrassing arena that the uh, Coyotes are currently playing out of. Uh, yes, Hannafin does have an eight-team no trade clause, so he selects eight teams that he will not go to. Um, but, you know, lots of guys like to uh, go to Arizona. There are, there are lots of benefits to players that maybe outweigh their current arena situation. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know what Noah Hannafin's no-trade clause looks like, and yet I personally wouldn't put Arizona on the list of really obvious ones. And, and quite frankly, you talk to guys who are playing in Arizona or were through there for a stretch last season, I, I actually think a lot of guys are enjoying that rink. I, I think Arizona's got n- not a great thing going for hockey-related revenues, but yeah. I think those guys who are a part of it don't mind the setup there at ASU. So, um, We are now less than a month from Christmas, so we know it's the holiday season, and we are teaming up this holiday season with the Mustard Seed once again. It is time to kick off the spirit of giving uh, because now more than ever is the time to support those experiencing poverty and homelessness in Calgary. So what we're looking for as we're partnering up with McManus Auto Group locations uh, to help 
collect all kinds of different things that we can donate to the mustard seed and then it'll be dispersed to those who need it the most. Things like new underwear, socks, jackets, boots, gloves, even things like razors, toothbrushes, um, deodorant, things like that desperately needed. If you can drop off select items like that or other things kind of similar, drop them off to any McManus Auto Group location or at our Sportsnet 960 downtown studios. We will then uh, hand over to the mustard seed and they won't just distribute during the holiday season. They will distribute all 2024 long. What we are able to collect here in the next month and a bit is going to be massive for the mustard seed for the coming calendar year. So for a full list of addresses and more details, just head over to our website at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Once again, it's back for another year. We're partnering up with the mustard seed. It's the spirit of giving and all the details at sportsnet.ca slash 960. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for a Monday edition of our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatting coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Pat and Wes along with you. And now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us for our first live in-person edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable in quite some time. Gents, talked a little bit about it. Wes and I did to kick off the hour. Willsie, we'd love to uh, bring you in on this one as well. Just six-game homestand. Flames have not had anything close to this type of extended stretch on home ice yet this season. The longest homestand they've had so far is two games. This is a six-game, about two-week homestand for the group. How uh, how big of an opportunity could this end up being for the group? Well, it's huge. I thought Wes made a really good point earlier on the show. When, Let's not go that far. When he said, hey, if you're going to be satisfied with a two-and-two two road trip, you better start to gain ground when you get home. And they've played more road games than any team in the NHL. They have had a tough schedule. I don't hear any coaches or players using that as an excuse in any way, shape, or form, but they have to be happy to be at home uh, to get some time with their family and friends, uh, to sleep in their own bed, to get some practice time. They haven't had a lot of practice Another time. Another great point by me, right? Yeah, excellent I, point. I'm having trouble. When you said that, I didn't even know which one you were referring well, to. There's been so many great points on, on one side of the table today. I'm just waiting for Pat to make one. But uh, in all Don't hold your breath. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity for them, but it's also going to be a gauntlet of sorts because of who they play. They play some of the top teams in the league Uh, the Golden Knights, the Stars, the Canucks, the Hurricanes, the Devils. We're talking about four of the best teams in the NHL. And then you've got a wild team that uh, could still be uh, getting a bump from a coaching change that they made today. So it feels like the Flames probably have to win four out of six or in some way, shape, or form pick up eight of a possible 12 points to put themselves in a, a decent spot when they hit the road and go back to Denver to play the Avalanche again in their next road game, uh, they've dug themselves into a hole. And every time they are about to climb out of it and get back to 500 and get into a playoff spot, they take a step back again, as they did, despite playing a pretty good game on Saturday. So uh, it's an important home stand. And we've talked a lot about that 15-game stretch before the Christmas break. They're two games into that now. I really think that the games they play prior to Christmas could ultimately determine what direction this organization goes in. So if you don't get off to a good start on this homestand, 
we might be talking a lot more about uh, a rebuild uh, in January than we have so far. Well, I know they, they had the internal meeting about blocking out the noise, right? And, and one way to block out that noise or quiet that noise yep. for a while is to have some on-ice success. I, I do believe certainly the the questions about the direction of the team are not going anywhere regardless of the on-ice results as long as you have four key pieces on expiring contracts. And yet, if you look at just the guys inside the locker room and, and how they can send a message, how they can m- maybe do their bidding to keep some of those guys around, it, it's to win hockey games. You're absolutely right. This is a, you know, when you when you say eight out of 12 points, that absolutely should be sort of the expectation for a six-game homestand. And yet you look at the the list of teams that are coming in to face them, and it's it's going to be really difficult. But if you even go a little bit further and go, say, you know, you have 10 home games and, until New Year's Eve, like ending with New Year's Eve. If you can, if you can get 12 or, or 13 points out of that, that's kind of what you need to expect as the minimum for home ice. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not going to be easy, though. No. With that said, though, I mean, they were really good against the Golden Knights last season. <laughs> Two one and one in four games against the Stanley Cup champions. So you're going to have to continue to trend in the right direction, five on five, and you're going to have to figure out the power play. You cannot have success in this league with a power play that's operating barely above 10%. So unless they get that sorted out, I'm not sure they're going to get to where they need to go. The, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a big opportunity. I really do. It, what they what they do with the opportunity, we'll see. And and I think if we come away from this homestand saying, oh geez, you know they they made up some real ground, or boy they 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 really played well and and beat some good teams, then then I think that we'll be having some real positive conversations for the next few weeks about the group. But I I do think the most important thing is another good point from Wes earlier in the uh, earlier in the hour. Count them up. Count them up. Take my shoes and socks off so I can use my fingers and my toes to count. Too many. Good point. Too many to count. I am sending this to HR. (laughs) See if I can maybe get a little bump. Okay. Well, let's not go that far. (laughs) You know who you're talking about? That was Um, that was not my best point. No, that one. That one's a poor point. Uh, I I think the the practice thing might be most important when talking about the power play because and i know they've practiced it and i know that they have have gone through it and and they've probably spent more time practicing it you know on a regular basis than they did last year to a pretty uh substantial degree but as as west mentioned that they haven't practiced in more than a week as as it stands right now and they won't practice again till wednesday a few even even a few special teams heavy or power play heavy practices i think could go a long way look i don't i don't really expect this power play to be a juggernaut i don't expect them to turn it around to the point where they're going to be a top five top ten power play in the league but like to make it so that you get a power play and you don't immediately start having your friends text you saying can we decline power plays like that that's that's what they need to get to. They need to get to it. You're like, oh, okay, here's an opportunity. Right now, you don't even feel like when they get a penalty that it's an opportunity. You feel like, okay, well, this is probably going to be a waste of two minutes. How are they going to bungle this one? So I, I think some practice time, three or four practices over the next couple of weeks where they can even dial in on the power play a little bit could be big. Yeah, and you also subtract the travel. 
and we had a chance to chat with Ryan Huska this morning, and he was telling us about all the late nights during what was a really tough stretch of four games in six days with long trips in between. And this is not an excuse for what happened on Saturday because the Avalanche actually had a longer trip home right. than the Flames had to get there for that game. So they were on pretty level playing fields on Saturday night, and the Avalanche found a way to win the hockey game, although I didn't think energy or a lack thereof was a huge issue for the Flames, maybe a little bit in the third period, but uh, not in the first 40 minutes of that hockey game. But uh, that travel, I think, took a toll on them. Uh, getting into uh, the team hotel at 2, 2.30 a.m. after uh, the game's on that trip. So, yeah, a lack of practice time, probably a lack of sleep, and your body clock gets all messed up too right if you're used to getting up at nine o'clock to come to the rink and because you got in at two or two thirty in the morning and maybe couldn't get to, get to sleep until three three thirty you don't wake up till 11 or eleven thirty. it kind of messes up your next day too so and i do wonder how they're going to look tonight they had a full morning skate today but and I forget who it was that said it. Maybe it was you that this made a good one was point, me. Pat. This one was me. Yeah. Well, uh, update your scoreboard nine one. Um, but hey, do you I'm treat just happy this, to get on the board. Do you treat this almost like a fifth road game? Because you get home in the wee hours of the morning on Sunday. Yep. Uh, yesterday is an off day for the team, but not a full one because they probably slept in or at least tried to sleep in. Those without kids, uh, and. They say that the first game after a long road trip is usually tough to win, and there does seem to be some truth to that. So they're going to have to be at their best against uh, a really good Golden Knights team that has struggled to score and struggled to win of late, and uh, I, I'm not sure if the Flames are getting them at the right time or the wrong time based on those things. Well, and you, you talk about the late nights and just the to- the toll that sort of collective travel of a four and six or whatever it happens to look like is going to take on a team and it's not an excuse it's a reality of life in the nhl but here for the next two weeks you have a chance to take advantage of teams that are feeling the toll of that travel right i haven't went and done the research on all six teams coming in but they're going to be coming in off games in vancouver or seattle or edmonton or they're going to have been on the road for whatever amount of time or they're going to have just changed time zones and now is your chance to try and take advantage of that. Yep. That's where that's where it has to even itself yep. out, right? I just I'm not sure it's going to be a big advantage for them tonight because they're coming off the road. When I used to travel with the team, I can tell you that when you get back from let's say northern or southern California at three in the morning, it would. And I'm not a professional athlete. I'm not in bad shape, but um, it would impact me for two or three days just to kind of get your your body back into a rhythm of falling asleep at the right time and getting up at the right time and not being tired at weird times throughout the day. So I'm not sure that that's going to be a huge advantage for them tonight, but then you got a lighter schedule for the rest of the week. And I do think that uh, they're going to have to make the most of home sure. ice advantage. You'd, ho- you'd hope not to get the golden Knights when they've been shut out in two of their past three, right? That was and three of their past six. That's, yeah. that's what I'm. That's a cranky group right yeah. now, yeah. and and that's going to make them a scary group tonight for yeah. sure. Uh, Daily Flames roundtable with Derek, Wes, and Pat on this Monday, guys. How do we feel about uh, what's developing or building right now on Elias Lindholm's line? Lindholm with Sharon Govich on the right and Manjapani on the left. 
Well, I think Igor Sharangovich is playing his best hockey as a member of the Flames right now. And I don't know if it has anything to do with his line mates because I thought he was playing well when he was centering the fourth line. That kind of got his game going a little bit. And I think he's been good on every line that he's played on since then. But he certainly has brought some speed to that group. And I think that his ability to use his feet to get into the forecheck is probably creating a little bit of space for a guy who is best in space, at least offensively, in Elias Lindholm. And I I still think about uh, that season he played between Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk, where Kachuk would do a lot of the dirty work. You had a lot. uh, You had one of the league's best playmakers in Gaudreau, and Lindholm would find those soft spots and, and use that lethal shot of his. We haven't seen that as often, but... He's been doing it a little bit more often uh, since they put that line together. So, uh, Mangiapane, I would say he's almost playing the Kachuk role on that line. He gets in there and does the dirty work uh, and probably wins more than his fair share of battles. He's not a big guy, but I said this again on Saturday, Wes. I think Andrew Mangiapane makes more plays from his knees than any player in the NHL, and he made one in in that game against the Avalanche uh, a few nights ago as well. So, it's been a good combination, and it feels like they're finally starting to find more than one or two groups that's working. Five on five, the team's playing well. Uh, again, as I said earlier, they got to get the power play going, but that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, and I, I am curious to see uh, if Yegor Sharangovich has found his fit on this line. You know, I even look, and, and it's been a small sample size during his stint with the Flames, but we really liked him for a few games, right, as the fourth-line center mm-hmm. between Greer and Dewar, and, and then... The effectiveness, effectiveness, I'm sorry, of that line sort of tapered off. And then we really liked him with Kadri and Connor Zeri for a few games. And then his effectiveness on that line sort of tapered off, and he was replaced by Martin Pospisil. I, I wonder if this is something now he can maintain. Because I really think, to Derek's point, if we're counting good points, this was a good one. Please put it on the, score, the scoreboard. Mm. He is playing his best hockey in a Flames uniform. This is the best Yegor Sharangovich we've seen. If that adds up to him having finally been able to maybe start to solidify himself on a line and have that last a little longer than those two examples I gave, then that's going to be big news for the Flames because your top line, if that's still what we're calling it, is not somewhere you can really afford to have a question mark. And he has solidified it so far. Now I guess the challenge is to, to kind of maintain that. I, I actually, the last two games of that road trip, I mean, the, the Nashville game was hard to take much positive from, but Sharon Govich did score that nice breakaway goal with less than a minute to go. Shorty. It meant nothing, but you're like, okay, that's a good confident finish from him, and I thought that it was showed, important. It showed why they're using him in the shootout. Absolutely. Yep. Right? Okay, As the, did his last shootout goal, the, obviously. The guy can absolutely wire it or can finish something pretty nice like that. And then the last two games, the back-to-backs, I thought obviously the in the Dallas game that was the line that, that drove things most, and Sharon Govich had his best game of the year with uh, the goal and three points, but I also thought against Colorado, they were on it, and they spent a lot of time on the attack, and they did a really nice job in that game as well, so I, I am starting to feel like there's something building there, and, and their metrics as a, as a trio have been strong. Uh, they've played now just over 42 minutes together at 5-on-5. Five five. They're a 58% possession line against a 51.2, uh, 51.4% rather offensive zone face-off, so they're well outpacing their 
their offensive zone starts. Uh, their scoring chances at high danger are 9-4 when they're on the ice. Uh, so they, they, they seem like there's something building. And I asked Elias Lindholm after morning skate about it. I said, yeah, you know, I've, I've really started to get to feel more comfortable with Manjapani because he spent a lot of the year with him. Um, and, and Sharon Govich, after starting training camp on a line with Lindholm, got moved away from there and got bounced all around. I think that he's, it feels like he's really starting to settle in, which might be the most important part of it to have a, a third member feel a little more comfortable too. So actually, I, I'm, I'm actually quite um, optimistic and encouraged by what I'm seeing from that trio right now. Yeah, and you can tell that Sharon Govich is more confident with the puck on his stick right now than he was early in the year where he looked like a guy who was trying to find himself or figure out where he fit in on this team, and I think the coaches were trying to figure that out early in the season. But i got to tell you guys, I'm really impressed with him without the puck. He works his tail off, and he can skate. If you watch him apply back pressure, he's done a great job turning pucks over in the neutral zone because – he can fly, and when he puts his mind to it, he can uh, certainly catch up to guys and, and strip them of the puck and help the Flames get back in. And as Ryan Huska said to us this morning, Elias Lindholm, he's probably never going to hurt you. I mean, he's just such a solid 200-foot player, but when he's at his best, he plays the game with edge, and he started to play the game with some edge in the last week or so. So that's been a good combination, and the crazy thing is, I think we all saw on paper... Jonathan Huberdeau and Elias Lindholm and assumed it would be a match made in heaven. It wasn't last season. We all wanted to give it another shot this season. It didn't work again. I didn't think that Jonathan Huberdeau would play his best hockey maybe in two years on a line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. But that's been a good fit so far. So right now, I'd say the Flames actually have three or four lines going for the first time this season. The fourth line was really good early. They completely fell off. They've played a couple of good games in a row. You've got the Kadri line that's worked, the Kadri and the kids line, Lindholm's line's working, and Backlund's line's playing well. So that's why I think they've started to play a lot better hockey. You, you're not leaning on one or two lines and expecting to win that way. The, the one thing I'll add quick on Sharon Govich is I, I do think having him on the flank allows him to use that shot a lot more. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think you mentioned we haven't seen as much of, of Elias Lindholm's shot this season I I really do think that's a byproduct of the system the Flames are now playing I don't think we've seen their centermen get a lot of chances as the trailers I I, we just haven't seen that component of it as much I think having Sharon Govich on the wing gives him an opportunity to use that shot because if you are you know going to make a list of who whose shot is the biggest weapon on this team he'd be near the top you know what's funny about that line though just as we talk through this, really you've got three shooters on it. Wouldn't you say all three guys are shoot-first guys as opposed to pass-first? Yeah, I kind of go 50-50 on Lindholm, but yeah, I, I I see your point for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Sometimes things that look good on paper don't look good on the ice, and sometimes they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, Andrew Mangiapane is probably your, your best sort of second-chance guy. So if the other two are firing it and he's at the edge of the paint where he likes to muck it up, then that's not such a bad mix either. And it's pretty good timing to have four lines going because you're going to need it against a Golden Knights team that isn't built with a bunch of superstars. They're built kind of like the Flames are, to come at you with four lines and three pairings and to wear you down. 
And you know what's crazy? Thinking back to last season, I thought the Golden Knights' biggest weakness was their goaltending. How many goaltenders did they go through? Five yeah. during the course of the season? And it's been their biggest strength yeah. this season. Two Kudos. Calgary kids. Kudos to the Calgary yeah. kids for sure. Uh, that'll do it for our Daily Flames Roundtable. Derek, Wes, and Pat, that'll start to wrap us up this hour as well. And the Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 4 Coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.